0: Thank you for joining us for the Restoration Church Podcast. This episode is entitled Balance, Movement, Builds, Momentum and is taken from Matthew 4, Verses 23 through 25. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. Good. Welcome to Restoration Church. Thank you for joining us. However you are joining us. Thank you for joining us. Um, today is kind of an exciting day. We're... Um, in part three of our kinetic series, right, so kinetic means motion, movement, na-na, bye-bye, no, just kidding, sorry, that was from Dave Spade. Anyway, um, kinetic means motion, uh, and we've been looking at how God used John the Baptist, and then, and then Jesus came into the scene and picked up the movement that John the Baptist, calling people to repentance because the kingdom of God is at hand, and we're in Matthew chapter four. So if you've got your Bibles, you're going to need to be there. So Matthew chapter four, we're going to be in verses 23, 24, and 25 today. And as we get started, I just want to say, I think it's really cool how God's word, when you move through it systematically, speaks to where you are when you're there, right? I mean, it's like, it's perfectly timed and it's so strange. We didn't, you'd think that Lance and I planned this stuff like so well, but really and honestly, it's just God moving. It's pretty cool. But um, we we are kind of in a, a cool place as a church because we have, we joined a movement a year and a half ago. And you might think, we didn't join a movement. We started a church, right? I mean, we sat in the basement at the Gidris and we talked about a mission and a vision and we were like, okay, we're gonna start this new thing, this new mission, and this new movement in Durham. But at the end of the day, what we've seen after a year and a half and looking at what God is doing in the church globally, what God is doing um, with churches around this area, we really were joining a movement of the Spirit of God in the city that we didn't even know we were getting into, but God was calling us to. And so when we talk about a movement, we're not talking about something we're trying to invent. We're talking about something that God is doing, and that makes me excited, right? So whether we say a church or a movement, whatever, don't get hung up on the the hip phrase part of it, but God is really moving in our city in a cool way and calling other churches to make disciples that make disciples. And um, if you look at the literature, the books that are coming out that the authors are writing – the main focus that I'm seeing in a lot of the, the mailings I'm getting is disciple-making. It's not worship or it's not missions. It's disciple-making that leads to everything else. And it's so cool how God put us in a place a year and a half ago to have this dream of a disciple-making church that makes disciples and makes disciples. And, and then gave us a – narrowed it down to calling us to do that through intimate, intentional relationships. And then seeing how the literature that people are putting out, the big-name big wigs in the Christian church – they're saying the same thing a year and a half later. They're saying, this is what we've got to move to. And it's not like they got it from me, right? It was the spirit of God that was moving, and he just asked us to join him. So it's really cool that we got to join a disciple-making movement that God was using in this city and across the nations, across the world, and that he called us to do it through intentional, intimate relationships, right? And we sum all that up, intimacy with God, intimacy with others. Right? As, as we grow in intimacy with God, we grow in intimacy with his church. As we grow in intimacy with his church, it makes us see God in a cooler and brighter way, and we grow in intimacy with God. So it goes back and forth. And um, I think if you look at our intimacy God through intimacy with others, we're just going to remove the word through because at the end of the day, it's, it's a both and. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a circular motion. As you grow closer to God, you grow closer to his body. As you go closer to his body, you see him more and you grow closer to him. So we're just going to take that word through out and just say intimacy with God, intimacy with others. But... We are uh, in a really cool spot where God has called us individually, not just as a body, but you as a person, as a believer in Christ, to be on mission, to live on mission, right? And when we went to the SIN conference, that was one of the big themes, is that every person can be a missionary. That uh, they didn't want stay-at-home moms to think they weren't on mission, or people who run track to think they weren't on mission, right, at universities or professionally. You're on mission, it's not just reserved for the super christians that go to the 1040 window and share the gospel right i mean we are all called to be disciple makers and so you're probably like yeah disciple making woo intentional relationships and maybe you're not like that but i mean <laughs> maybe you're like yeah jesus the movement god holy spirit woo and then there's another part of you is like yeah but like what's the next step What's, what, how do I put one step in front of the other? What's the right foot supposed to do? What's the left foot supposed to do? What books am I supposed to use? What, what, how am, I, what am I supposed to say when I'm sitting with my neighbor in my living room? What am I supposed to say to my coworker? Um, once I say something to him, if I said the right thing, what do I do next? You know, what's the next step? And it would be really cool if I answered all those questions today, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going. No, what we're going to see today in Matthew 4 is that, Jesus moves in a specific way, right? I'm going to give you the catchphrase for today, and I hope this is what you leave with, right? This, this phrase, and then you understand what it means. But balanced movement builds momentum. Everybody say it with me, ready? Balanced movement builds momentum. Balanced movement builds momentum. And you're like, yeah, that sounds hip. But, I mean, it's in the Bible. I promise you. We're going to get there. So, Matthew chapter 4, um, verses 23-24. We're going to try to address this problem, and the cool part is that the Scripture literally teaches us some of the how-tos, right? It gives us some better guidelines. We've, we've kind of, like, been paving a road for us, right? we we got a map. We drew out where we want our road to go. Restoration Church is going to be this. And then we got in our big earth movers, and we dug out the street, and now there's a big dirt road, right? And some of us probably feel like we're on a dirt road. Today, we're not going to put up the shrubs and the medians. We're going to pave it, right? So we're going to get it a little clearer. How we make disciples. What, is, what are some three essential things, three essential principles that if you apply to your life, whether you're in this church or in any other church in the whole world, how you can make disciples, and is how Jesus did it. So that's what we're going to address today. <coughs> Scripture speaks to it. We're excited, so let's see it. Jesus teaches us three things that we can corporately do and individually do to make disciples. The first one is that Jesus moves. He was kinetic. Right, he, he didn't sit still, he moved. Let's look at uh, Matthew 4. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of heaven and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains. You like that word afflicted, don't you? That's, that's a good one. Afflicted with every disease and pain. <laughs> they were oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Balanced movement builds momentum. Balanced movement builds momentum. Jesus was moving, he was kinetic. He, he didn't stay where he was, right? It says that he moved throughout all of Galilee, right? And so when and you read the commentators about what that means, all of Galilee. Galilee, Galilee is the northern part of Israel, right? And it encompassed some maybe 400 towns and villages, right? Big area, lots of mountains. There's the um, the sea up there, the River Jordan, all coming down into the lower part where Jerusalem is. He started in the north, and he went to the synagogues proclaiming the truth of the kingdom, of God, or the good news of the kingdom of God and healing the sick. But he was moving. And it's interesting that uh, he was a kinetic guy. He was different than John. Remember, last week, uh, Lance taught us about how G- the best way to start a movement is to join a movement, right? Don't, don't start one with Christ, just join when God's already moving, which is what we've done. And so John had started this movement, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And he was out in the wilderness and hundreds of people, thousands of people would come to him and he would tell them to repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. God would move and they'd be baptized and then they'd go home, right? And where was John the next day? In the wilderness, waiting for people to come to him and if they could tell them to repent, the kingdom of God is at hand and then send them home. And he would do that day after day. He lived in the wilderness. And that was one of the characteristics of him as a prophet. He lived in the wilderness proclaiming, make way the path of the Lord. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus joined that ministry. We saw that last week. If you missed it, restorationchurch.us, backslash messages. You can catch it, Connect part two. And But he was different. He moved. Jesus, John stood in the Jordan. Jesus moved throughout Galilee. right? John waited for listeners to come to him. Jesus went to the people who were suffering, who were sick. John preached about a coming wrath. Jesus brought a light of life into a dark world, right? He was the light of life into the, light, into the dark world. John baptized with water. Jesus was characterized by many wonders and signs and miracles, right? The biggest miracle that a commentator said John did is just his selflessness, that he put Jesus above himself. That was the biggest miracle that John did. He baptized with water. Jesus was characterized by signs and miracles as he moved. He was kinetic, moving through the city. The one commentator I read said that Jesus' movement through Galilee was symbolic of the movement of the gospel, the kind and orderly movement of the gospel. And I started thinking, that's, that's an interesting statement, that Jesus' movement into Galilee, symbolic of the gospel and the way the gospel moves in our lives. And I started thinking about this, uh, this little creek in Bryson City. Any of you ever, ever been to Bryson City? Beautiful place. There's a state park up there called Deep Creek. You ever been to Deep Creek? You ever been tubing down Deep Creek? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So you can go get these big old inner tubes at Deep Creek, and you walk for, I don't know, a year up a mountain, yeah. and then there's this, like, one spot where the trail just kind of ends, and you get in, and you, you're thinking, I should have a raft, a life jacket, and a helmet. I mean, depending on if it rained the day before. But there's it's not like a, a leisurely ride down the mountain. It's a woohoo! I mean, you're going to die. It's fun, But, um... And, and you, you're smart if you rent the tube with a seat in the bottom of it. You're not smart if you just rent the tube because, you, ooh, you're going to hurt. All right, but the point is rent a tube with a seat in it if you ever go. But I, when I was a Boy Scout, we used to go up there all the time. We stayed at this little campsite. It was always at the end on this side of the bridge and the river. I mean, sorry, Deep Creek ran in front of us. And I could find the best skipping stones in the world at Deep Creek. You know what I'm talking about, skipping stone, right? Mm-hmm. They have to be about that thick mm-hmm. about that big, and you got to be able to chunk them. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And the smoother and the flatter they are, the more they skip. Yeah. And so you always, you know, friendly competitions. You got, how many can you do? And they're like, hey, <coughs> yeah, watch this, <laughs> 10, ting, yeah. ting, 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 Like, if you found the perfect skipping stone, man, you could go far. But those stones didn't start out like that, right? Yeah. They started out like jagged rocks that had fallen off the mountain fallen into the stream. And the continual running of the water over it smoothed it out. Made it smooth, made it beautiful, made it perfect for something, right? The gospel does that in our lives. As it moves in our lives, it changes our jagged, rocky hearts into hearts of flesh that are smoothed out and beautiful in the way God wants us to be. The gospel moves in our lives and in our hearts and makes us more like Christ. smooths out our rough edges. I just think that's a beautiful illustration. But the movement of Jesus in Galilee was doing that. It was kind, it was orderly, and it was making a difference and an impact in the city. Is the gospel having an effect on you today? Is it, is it moving in your life? Are you seeing areas of your heart that are a little jagged, maybe a little bitter because of what you're going through or whatever? And are you seeing how the gospel, when you preach the gospel to yourself, when you think about the big things of life, the king of kings, the glory of God, when you think about that stuff, do those rocky, sharp edges in your heart kind of smooth over a little bit? Is the gospel moving in your life? That's the question. The gospel has got to move in our city, too. Right, we've got to be a part of the mission of John, of Jesus, not the mission of John. Right, we a lot of a lot of us have probably had a time or a period in our lives where we wish we could just have people come to us and we could share the gospel with them. Right, we want to sit, people would come, we'd share a great message, they'd be enthralled, and they would go back and they would they would love Jesus. But the the movement of Jesus is to move out to be kinetic, to be into the community. That means that we're going to have to move specifically into places you are going to be called into places that are are kind of scary. They're kind of different than where you probably want to be and where you probably normally go. In a week, we're going to launch our missional family groups. And um, the whole key to the term of missional family groups is the word missional, right? It's not just another family group. It's a missional family group. There's an outward focus as we move into our city. It's an in and out. That means that if we're going to join the Jesus movement and not the John movement, then we've got to be present in our city, We've got to show up on the campuses of the universities. We've got to be at the pregnancy support centers. We have to be at the homeless shelters or in the woods behind the grocery store where they live. We're going to have to be in our neighbor's living rooms, right? I mean, we're going to have to go to the block parties in our neighborhoods, go to the community events, go to the service projects that we get opportunities to. Why are you laughing at me? Oh, yeah, our neighborhood. Okay. We're going to <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to be present in the hospital, Where the sick and the suffering are. You're gonna have to be present in your office building where you work. You're gonna have to be present there as a missionary, not just present, right? We've got to go with the movement of Jesus into our town. We've got to be present in our own home. Right? I mean, this is a convicting thing to me. Like, how am I gonna raise my boys if I'm never there? You know, like I've gotta be there and I've gotta teach them how to follow Jesus. We've gotta be present in our home and we've got to be present in our family groups. Right? You're probably thinking, oh great, here we go again. Go out, go out, go out, go out. No, we've got to be, this is a beautiful term, you ready? Bifocal. What? Yeah, sorry. I just took a noun and made it an adjective. You like that? <laughs> Only the, ex- the extent of the English language, right here. You know, like, you changed your world. I told you it was coming, right? Bifocal, right? We've got to be bifocal. We have got to be able to see clearly what is close to us our family, our, our, the people who are suffering in this room. In our family groups. We've got to be able to minister to them, but we can't get stuck there. At the same time, we've got to avert our eyes just a little bit up and be able to clearly see the need in our community and move towards it. We've got to be bifocal. We can't neglect what's home to go, 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 and we can't go, 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 or we can't go, go, go here and neglect what's there. have got to be bifocal. That's right. You learned a new word. Write it down. Start using it. It's not a sleep, but it's a new word. You know what I'm saying? I learned a new word last night. Uh, Do you know what a group of baby foxes is called? It's a sleek. I never knew that. But Miriam Webster back there told me. (laughs) So it was really cool. I got to learn that. But it's a sleek. I'm I'm expanding my vocabulary, and so are you this morning. But, and so if we're going to have an in and an out, if we're going to have a care for people at home but also be present in the community, that means we're going to have to be pretty balanced in our approach to making disciples, right? We can't go one way or the other. We've got to be balanced. Think about a person on a bicycle. If, if they only pedal with one pedal, and they're always leaning to the right, where's the bike going to go? In circles or on the ground, right? I mean, you're not really going to go that far. But you've got to get the balance. And when you get balanced movement, what do you catch? Momentum. momentum. And you start moving forward, right? And you can direct where you want to go. Balance movement builds momentum. Everybody say it. Balance. Movement builds momentum. Beautiful. Jesus had balance in the way that he moved. He had balance. He did two things. Look at verse 24. Um, he dealt with those who were in need, and he taught. Two big things he did really well. He taught about the good news of the kingdom, and he served those who were in need. So he went throughout all of Galilee preaching in the synagogues. Interesting. He went to those who were spiritually interested first in the synagogues, his own people. But then throughout all the people who came to him and were brought to him because he was moving, he also healed. So inward, outward, right? Balance motion. Uh, Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We're going to talk about what that is. Healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, oppressed by demons, epileptic, paralytics, and he healed them. He's balanced. He wasn't just serving and neglecting the teaching, he wasn't just teaching and neglecting the serving. He was balanced. We can model that. So Jesus taught about the good news of the kingdom. What's the good news of the kingdom? What is the good news Jesus was teaching at that time? So the word good news is gospel, right? That's the the Greek understanding, gospel. And I think we probably understand what the gospel is, but I want to make sure we're really clear on what the gospel is. And that is kind of a beautiful thing. I was working on a sermon, and I'm like stuck, and I'm like, God, what is the gospel of the kingdom? How is that different than the gospel that we share? What is the gospel of the kingdom? Why is, he, why is Jesus He wasn't talking about his death and resurrection yet. It wasn't his time. What was he teaching them about? And I started listening to a Tim Keller sermon. And Tim Keller literally answered what the gospel of the kingdom was. And I'm like, that's so amazing. I, I didn't even mean to. It was like, meet the real Jesus. Click. All right, fine. I just need to have some quiet time. And he's like, this is the gospel of the kingdom. So this is what I learned from, from, from Tim Keller. It's amazing. Um, the word gospel... It means good news, but it, it wasn't just any kind of good news. It wasn't used lightly. When Matthew wrote the word gospel, when all the people in the New Testament used the word gospel, they meant something very significant. We, we need to catch this, right? It wasn't, it wasn't good news like, hey, my kid got an A in class. Good news, right? Or it wasn't, I got two for one loaves and fish down at the market. You know, they didn't, they didn't use like, this is the gospel. The gospel was used to indicate an announcement of a historical event that would bring about a new and joyful outcome. Something in history happened that changed everything. That's what gospel means. The good news about something that has happened that is changing, and bringing a new order, a new and joyful order to the world. So for example, we see in the history books, when Octavian Augustus was was deemed emperor of Rome, there's an edict sent out. And the edict said, this is the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. Right? A historical event that brought about a new and joyful order to things. What is the historical event that brought about a new and joyful order? What exactly was he talking about? He was talking about the historical event, the announcement, that God had broken through. God, the the, the ideal had become real. That God had become man. The kingdom of God is at hand. Right? It wasn't the kingdom of God is coming. That's not what what John was proclaiming. The kingdom of God is here. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is where the king is. And we've learned that, right? The historical event, the gospel, the good news is that God had broken through. God had come to us. He had been made in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. And now he's walking among you as the king of all creation. The king is there. So Jesus is going into the synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Hi, I'm the one you've been looking for. Just heads up, I'm the king and my kingdom is here. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And I'm sure they probably were upset about that. And so then the sick and the healing came and he ministered to them and you know what they believed? He was the king because he healed them. Right? They, they, they saw that he was the king. It's a historical event, an announcement, a new order of things. It was used very deliberately. Why is it used deliberately? Because it means that Christianity is unlike every other world religion. The word gospel means that Christianity is unlike every other world religion. In that this, history is important to every religion, right? If you take the history of Buddhism, um, then what do you've got? You've got Buddha. He was an Indian king, uh, the prince of an Indian king that went out and he saw suffering. He saw these four things and he sat under a tree for four days. And then he gets up and he says, these are the four noble truths, right? It's a history of how he found a way to God. A way to salvation. Islam, same thing. Sat in a cave, had a vision. This is the way to salvation. The gospel, the event in history is I am the way to salvation. It's completely different. It's no longer a a means of how we get to God. It's what God has done for us, right? It's not an event of what we need to do. It's an event that's what has been done. drastically different. So let me ask you this, when you present the gospel to people, when you share, are you sharing a philosophy of life, a new ethic, are you sharing about a historical event? When you you think about sharing the gospel to people, what are you sharing? More than that, what has the gospel become to you? Has the gospel become an ethic, like I love Jesus and Jesus loved me, so therefore I'm going to live like such, 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 such? Or is the gospel an event in which God has overcome your sin, has put to death your penalty, and given you a new life? What does the gospel become to you? And if we are charged as disciples to go make disciples, we've got to be really clear on what we're sharing. And I don't know about you, but it's kind of freeing to me to think the fact that I don't have to share an ethics. I don't have to share a philosophy. I just have to tell a history lesson. Jesus became man. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for the penalty of my sin. And through, by grace, through faith, I can receive the forgiveness of that sacrifice. And then he conquered death in the grave and rose again and gave me eternal life that I can live with him. That's the gospel. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that, right? We have a sin problem that God came and fixed in a moment in time in history. And he fixed it with a man named Jesus. And Jesus died on a real cross that was persecuted by the real Romans that lived in the real time. And then he was laid in a real grave. And then three days later they came and that real grave was empty and there was no body there. And then, several, and then right then he's walking among people. And for 40 days over 500 witnesses saw him living until he ascended into heaven. And then disciples who were so scared to live their life publicly when Jesus was being persecuted, they ran and scattered. They suddenly came back together and started proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That Jesus had died and been resurrected and they went all the way to their death proclaiming this it's a historical event it's a reality it's not something that we can be ashamed of in a culture that says oh that's a fairy tale no it's a historical event it happened I mean if you look at the scriptures the scriptures are just as reliable as any other history book in all of humanity right I mean they get tested against history and they always come out when you squeeze the scripture it always comes out with truth so if we're going to look at the gospels and they're showing this this record of this man's life named Jesus he's a real guy it's not a fairy tale as Charles Dawkins would say, he's not the, um, the spaghetti monster, right? He's the real man that lived. That's the gospel we get to share. What is the gospel become to you? What have you been sharing? What will you share tomorrow? And does it free you to know it? you just got to share the history? The Holy Spirit comes and changes the ethic. The Holy Spirit comes and gives the philosophy of how to live your life and how to serve and love others. The good news of the kingdom of God, what we are going to emulate, what we are going to do in our lives as we become disciple makers is share the history. Let the Holy Spirit change the heart and change the life. I don't know. There's a lot of freedom in that for me. But he didn't just teach. He also served. He loved. He he balanced out how he lived his life. There were several people that were brought to him. All, the, all the, the people who were sick and every kind of affliction and every kind of suffering were brought to him and he healed them. And then John uh, sorry Matthew gives us three specifics, right? He says those who were oppressed by demons, those who were epileptic, and those who were uh, paralytics. And he healed them all, right? So we have sick and suffering, demon-possessed or demon-oppressed, epileptics, and paralytics. And one of the commentators I read said, "These, all of these, are characteristics of every possible element that sin has brought into this world, the spiritual darkness has brought into this world. Whether it be a physical element like paral- being paralyzed, whether it be a, a mental health element like being an epileptic, and you're like, that's not what epilepsy is. I know it's a different word in the Greek. We'll get there. Is it a spiritual issue about being suppressed, or is it just suffering because people are sinning against you?" All, all the things that Jesus did represented everything that sin destroyed. And what did he do? He healed it. He, he overcame every one of those things that sin brought into this world. Jesus said, Get out of here. And he healed it. And he restored. It. So the gospel and Jesus' movement in the community was about rest, restoring people's lives, redeeming what sin had destroyed. That should be our attitude as we move into our city. Right? How can we move into people's lives who are suffering because they've been sinned against and show them the redeeming power of Jesus? How can we move towards the people who are suffering physical illness and serve them and help make them well and walk with them through their treatments? And I'm not saying that we become the doctors and the psychologists. I'm just saying we, as the body of Christ, have a role in all the people who are suffering if we're going to follow Jesus' example. We have to be kinetic. We have to be moving. We have to be moving with balance, teaching the good news, serving those who are suffering. So where do we get these? A spiritual, I just want to define these really well. Matthew was very specific in saying these last three, those who are oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics. Um, One of the common objections to the scripture is, oh, somebody was just having a seizure, and that's why they were flopping around the fire. They they, they didn't understand the the brain chemistry and and seizure activity and epilepsy, and so they weren't really demon-possessed. They were just, you know, flopping around, and, and that's, so they didn't understand, so they just called it spiritual oppression. No, the, the people in the, Old, in the New Testament times were not idiots, right? They weren't stupid. They could tell the difference between someone is sick and we need to go get a doctor and, oh my gosh, this is a demon and we need to watch out, right? Because think about it. Jesus went across the, the, the pond, we'll call it the pond, Sea of Galilee, and He gets to the other side, and who's he find? A man oppressed by demons. And people knew he was oppressed by demons. They weren't like, oh, he's just crazy. No, he was oppressed by demons. And what happened when that man ran up to Jesus? The demon spoke. Right? There's a recorded history of the demons saying, what do you have to do with us, the son of God? Don't kill us. You know, let us go into the swine. And this man who had been oppressed for years, and the people knew about him, and he was the crazy guy that lived out on the rocks, like who was oppressed by demons, was completely healed when Jesus sent out the demons. We live in a spiritually dark world. We live in a spiritual warfare scenario. Demon oppression and possession, I think, is very real in this world. We don't see it. We're blind to it. But it's real. And it's not mental health. Because guess what? Epileptics in in the Greek is mental health. Epileptic literally means moonstruck or where we get our word lunatic, right? That's what he meant right there. People who are suffering from mental health problems. People who are so depressed or bipolar or whatever the situation, that was encompassed in epileptic, not seizure disorder, right? Seizure disorder would be encompassed in paralytic, physical ailments that needed medication and needed treatment, right? Or the lack of the ability to move their limbs or whatever. And, it, and it's not that, just to clarify for anybody who might be listening, it's not that these people represented sin that they had committed, but just how sin had destroyed the world. Had destroyed the the biology that we live in, like the the world that we're in. Sin affected it all. It destroyed the DNA. It destroyed the the cells because sin destroys everything. It wasn't that they sinned and therefore they're paralyzed. It wasn't that they sinned and therefore they were a lunatic. It wasn't that they sinned and therefore they were demon-possessed. Just sin exists and it destroys and it is constantly trying to take us out. And Christ came and overcame it. He overcame it with the teaching of the good news, the hope, and the healing. We've got to be balanced as we move into our city. Healing and hope. That's what we can take to people, right? Whether they're suffering because they lost a loved one in a tragic, traumatic accident. We can move into their lives, help them, support them, walk them through it. Whether they're struggling with severe depression as they're seeking counseling and all that kind of stuff. That's great. That's awesome. But th- that doesn't mean we just, all right, you go do that and the church will be over here. And when you get that fixed, come back to the church. No, the church walks beside those people who are suffering there. Which means we're gonna get our hands dirty if we're gonna be disciple makers. Jesus didn't live this clean life where he stayed in his house and he, people brought him and then he washed his hands. You know, and he was moving, he was kinetic, he was balanced, he got his hands dirty, and he loved people. And that's what he's calling us to do. Balanced movement builds momentum. Balanced movement builds momentum. What happened next? All the people of Syria. It, his, his, his fame spread throughout all of Syria and hundreds followed him. Large crowds followed Jesus, right? From Jerusalem and Judea and the Decapolis and all of Syria, they all followed Jesus. He built momentum. Now, this this point is not about if we go out and make disciples, we'll get momentum and we'll just become a big church. That's not the point. The point is, is we practice these principles of movement and balance, then God's kingdom is going to grow, right? People will come to know him. Whether they come here or not, the kingdom of God will grow and increase, and people will come to know who who Jesus is and call him Lord if we're practicing these these principles of balance and movement. And, And the good news is we don't have to do it alone, right? I mean, when we, if, you, if we put down these blinds and we looked out into our city, right? We cut down all the trees, you look at our city, and you saw all the spiritual oppression and all the suffering and all the pain and all the sickness and all the just absolute apathy towards God. And I said, all right, Heather, go get them. You probably wouldn't be smiling, right? You'd probably be like, no, that is overwhelming. I mean, I can do something, but that's just overwhelming. I can't do that. That, that is, whew, that's way too big. Good news, God didn't send you by yourself, right? God, God didn't call you by yourself. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't go by himself, right? So if you go back to verses 18 through 21 or 22, what did Jesus just finish doing? Getting four helpers, right? He, last week we studied this. He just called James, John, Simon, and Andrew, right? And they got out of their boats and they followed him and then he's moving through all of Galilee and guess who he's got with him? James, John, Simon, and Andrew, at least those four, maybe more. But he's not going on his own. You know, he's going to get tired. Somebody's going to have to cook a meal. Somebody's going to have to rest while the other person ministers and loves these people who are suffering. Like, Jesus wasn't this superhuman that lived perfectly and, and without tiredness, without hunger or anything. He lived perfectly. He was out sin. But he didn't live without tiredness or hunger or exhaustion or needing to get away and regroup and, and talk to his father, right? So he had to have help. So he couldn't do all the ministry he did without help. I'm not asking you to live your life as a disciple maker without help. I think that would be ungodly and wrong, right? But if we want to build momentum, we go together. We go with help. That's why we're not doing, hey, go make disciples, get out of here. But go get in a family group, get passionate about something, and go together. Go with a team. Jesus had a team. We're going to go with a team. Besides, you're a foot in the body of Christ. If you're going to go help the sick, you're probably going to need some hands. Right? If you're going to go help the mentally ill, you're probably going to need good ears and a big heart. Maybe that's not you. But maybe it's somebody else that can sit and be the great listener and be the compassionate one while you're the practical one and you're helping and moving. You're going in a team. You're not going by yourself. The body of Christ works together when we move together. If we move individually, we're going to get overwhelmed, we're going to get discouraged, and we're not going to move. We're going to stay still and hope people come to us. We move together, move as a team, change the city for the glory of God. You know what? Another person. I promise you, this is this is what I'm dreaming. If we start moving with balance, this room may never grow in numbers, but God will be glorified, right? If we're going out and sharing the kingdom and healing those who are not healing, but well, maybe healing. God could give us that power, right? But if we're serving those who are sick and afflicted. Those who are of all those different mental, physical, spiritual needs, and they start coming to Christ and they go to such and such church or such and such church, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Right? Because ultimately they're becoming disciples. And that's what we want to see. And then, but if we find them and we minister to them and they become a part of a depth group and part of a missional family group and they start living on a mission, and then they come and start worshiping with us, great, that'd be awesome. We want them to be disciples and we want them to know the love of Jesus. If we move with balance. With we move with balance, we'll build momentum. You'll build momentum in your own life. As if you move with balance into the suffering that you see around you and, and you teach the gospel and practically serve your neighbor, and you're gonna see momentum of how easy it is to share the gospel and serve people, right? The more you do it, the more momentum you'll build. And then you'll start to see fruit from those relationships. And whether they receive Christ or not, you'll see fruit. And then you'll be more apt to move to the next person and move to the next person. You will see momentum with balanced movement. Balanced movement builds momentum. Imagine what your life would look like if you applied those, those three principles. Imagine if you moved into a community, you were balanced in serving and teaching the truth, and you went with a team. What would that look like at your office? What would it look like to your neighbor's? What would that look like in your family? Maybe you've got family members that are just hostile to the gospel. If you moved with balance and with a team, what would that look like? How would that change the way you live? I see a future for us that is really cool if we apply these principles. Right? We've got the tools. We've got worship, depth, and missional family groups. We know, that we know what the gospel is, and we're going to learn the gospel more clearly how to present it. But we know that it's an event that we just have to tell people about the historical event and let the Holy Spirit do his thing. So there's the pressure of us saving people is off the table, right? Jesus saves. We, we present the gospel. Jesus saves. Awesome. No pressure. Just talk about it, right? And we don't have to go on our own and have these eloquent speeches. No, we can go with the team and totally mess up the gospel, and somebody else will pick up when we mess up, and the truth will be presented. We can serve those who are in need and build momentum in the kingdom of God in your personal walk with Jesus and in our corporate walk with Jesus. I think it would be so cool. Because Jesus moved with balanced momentum, I mean with, with balance, large crowds followed him. And they didn't go home at the end of the day. They followed him all over Galilee and down in Jerusalem and all over, all over Israel. They followed him. We want to be a part of the Jesus movement, not the John's movement. Everybody say it with me. Balanced. Movement builds momentum. One more time. Balance, movement, builds momentum. Awesome. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. To find out more about our church or to hear other messages, please visit us at www.restorationchurch.us.